Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hey, everybody. Thank you so much. Please, everyone, please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. All right, so before we jump into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, and I do mean a huge thank you to Mr. Brad Roberts of the Crash Test Dummies. The episode went supernova, like I knew it would, and the feedback was immense. What a great episode and so much fun to record. The feedback to the episode was incredible, and if you've not heard our incredible interview, I strongly encourage you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. And Brad, seriously, you are welcome back on the show anytime, sir. So welcome to episode 162, and we have a truly fantastic episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Brian Falduto. Brian is an actor, life coach, and successful musician. Brian got his acting start playing Billy in School of Rock and has now transitioned into an incredible country music career. His latest album, Gay Country, and its hit single, Same Old Country Love Song, has been incredibly popular. And this week, he is releasing a new single, Big Boys Club, The Pride Remix. As a gay country singer, he is smashing down barriers and helping shine a light on queer representation in country music. Now, Brian is also incredibly funny and a pure joy to speak with, so let's get him out of here. Duval Nation, please join me and welcome to the show, calling in today from his home in New York City, actor, life coach, and musician, Brian Falduto. Brian, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? The weather's good. It's a little humid, but it's it's nice. I'm in New York City. And yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. It's like 78. Are you still dealing with the wildfires out there? No. I left for California on Friday, and we were still dealing with it then. But then I got back on early Monday morning, yesterday, I guess. Yes. And uh, the it seems to have cleared. So oh, that's good. I guess it depends on which way the wind blows, right? I mean, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so with the pandemic coming to an end, how was it for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? 
I mean, I think I had a lot of similar difficulties to everybody else. I spent a lot of time at home by myself uh, as an artist, you know, either writing or or doing some of the admin work that goes with being an artist. I'm also a life coach, so a lot of my job is from home, interacting with clients virtually or or over the phone. So, like, not not too much about my day to day changed, but at the same time, I feel like a lot changed. You know, there was there was sort of an undeniable energy that we were all sort of dealing with, right? And like a lot of doomsday energy and anxiety and uncertainty. And um, I think I, I dealt with all of that. Also, just, you know, not being able to go places without a mask. It's 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 a bit confining, right? So, you know, it, it begins to take, take a mental, emotional toll. I'm just grateful I wasn't like, you know, I, I, that I was where I was in life, you know, because I feel like it affected a lot of people, a lot of people much worse than it did me, you know? So I feel like I'm... I got the better end of the stick, you know, because I know a lot of people really had a hard time with COVID. Right. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? I was born in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> Jersey boy. Uh, I know. Uh, I'm a gay country singer from New Jersey. It's a thing. We exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm from New Jersey, like central northern New Jersey. I had a pretty good upbringing. I feel like I grew up in a cool area. It's like a nice suburban town. I had I was 45 minutes from New York City. I was 45 minutes from Beach. I was 45 minutes from Six Flags. <laughs> I had access to a lot of a lot of things, you know, that are are good for, you know, teenage years or the or the youth or whatever it is. A pretty conservative area, you know, not a lot of like queer representation, which I think was like something I struggled with. But again, I had access to New York City. So in college, I sort of finally got a lot of that access and whatnot. Did you have early aspirations to do any acting? Oh, I sure did. I recently re-saw Wicked on Broadway. And I think that came out in like 2003, like similar similar to when School of Rock came out. And I remember going to it. And I remember waiting for my dad to bring the car around because he had par- parked it in like a nearby garage. And I remember saying to my mom, I'm going to do that when I'm older, um, <laughs> referring to being on stage in a Broadway musical. So I, I definitely have always wanted to do it. I, I loved atten- attention as a kid. I would interrupt family dinners and demand that my family all come watch me perform in the living room in between courses. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I just, I was the loudest kid in the, the church choir. I was just, yeah, I just, I was really, I was really out there, you know? How did an audition for School of Rock come about? Yeah, well... Uh, as I mentioned, I was a kid who loved attention. And one time I was on vacation in Aruba, actually, with my parents. And this guy with a video camera walked by. Uh, I just got up and followed him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I waited until he set up his camera somewhere. And I was like, hi, I'd like to be on camera. And my mom walked over. She was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and this uh, the guy was like, no, this kid's clearly a star. He like let me let me give you the in- contact information of some managers back in New York City that I'm affiliated with. Reach out to them when you get back to the states. It seems like he he could have like a real career. And he gave my mom a list of managers, and we reached out to them when we got back to the states. And I ended up represented by one of them. And then School of Rock was actually my first professional audition ever. So was that role created for you, or was it was that actually like a role that was written for that character? Um, no, it was much different when I auditioned and then I, I went into the audition like something crazy like eight or nine times and um, by the time I was done with the audition process, they had they had created Billy sort of around me. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So when I told fans that you were going to be coming on the show, I had a whole bunch of people writing questions and we sprinkled them all throughout the interview. Oh, and fine. one of the questions is, uh, do people ask you to do the tacky and I hate you line for them when you meet them? Yes. And the answer really? is always no. 
<laughs> so what do you remember from the making of the film and uh, do you have a favorite story you would like to share? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, you know, it's the 20th anniversary coming up and I'm doing like a lot of press stuff for it. And I'm, I'm always like the worst with this. Like all the other kids seem to somehow have much better uh, recollection of everything that happened on set. I'm always like, I don't actually remember that much. I would say that I, I it was a wonderful experience. I mean, I was basically taken out of third or fourth grade for four months and like treated like a star for four months, right? Which is awesome for a kid. And right. I got to be on set with all these other amazing kids and Jack Black and Sarah Silverman and Joan Cusack every day. And like, you know, being shuffled around in like these nice vans and everyone always just like taking care of you. You know, at the same time we worked hard, you know, it was like, it was pretty long days. Um, we had sometimes we had like 12 or 14 hour shoot days, right? And I was young. I ended up getting like mono by the end of the experience because, oh, wow. you know, I think that's just a lot to ask of a kid, right? To like put them in an adult working situation, essentially. But at the same time, it was just like, it was amazing. You know, they, and then the theme of the movie is bringing out what makes you special, right? And that's what the director did on set. And it was a really like validating experience where they were like, we really love this about you. Like, just own it, be yourself, you know, which is not the message you get otherwise in middle school, right? From like right. years and whatnot. So it was, it was a really cool experience. And I always talk about the food when anyone asks me about the experience. There was food everywhere all the mm -hmm. time. My mom was on set with me every day because she, you know, she had to be, um, and she she gained like 30 pounds while we were filming the movie because there's just food everywhere constantly. Um, I also gained a ton of weight, but the kids were a little more active like on on set and whatnot. But uh, right. it was great. A lot of food. Highly recommend if anyone's looking to do a job where there's food all the time. I went back and watched the movie. I have not watched it in a very, very, very long time. And I wanted to do some research prior to this interview. It holds up pretty damn well. I know. It's so nice. It aged kind of well. You know, I just, not to like shit on other movies, but I just rewatched <laughs> There's Something About Mary. And I was like, you know, this one didn't age that well. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it really aged well, which is nice. You know, I feel like it's refreshing. Yeah. That montage scene, I can see why it inspired a whole bunch of kids to pick up instruments. It's really, it, it really tapped into something really special. Yeah, no, I mean, especially like we didn't really have social media back then, but all these years later, I still get messages from people who are like, wow, I picked up guitar for this um, yeah. because I saw you on screen. I felt comfortable to come out to my parents, like all these like, oh, wow, these things, right? Like that I didn't, we didn't have access to back then. So when the film was released, I read uh, that you were subjected to horrendous bullying and torment and led you to resent your sexuality when you realized you were gay. Can you elaborate on that some? Yeah, it was tough. You know, it was 2003. There was no queer representation in the media other than like me and Will and Grace and Ellen. So, um, and I didn't really have those examples pointed out to me. So I felt very alone. You know, on screen, I was kind of just being myself. That was the whole sort of point of the project, right? To like get kids to to be themselves and showcase them and and help them feel special. And then when I came out, everyone was like, hey, that film you did was great. It's a really awesome experience that you had. But it was it, the queer factor seemed to be like this really negative thing. But I was I didn't even know what being gay was at the time. I just knew that it was like this negative thing that I shouldn't be associated with. Because like back then, being gay, if, some, if someone called you gay, it was meant to be an insult. Like there was like that's that's sort of how the term was used, you know, mm -hmm. uh, until we became more like PC as a culture around it. Right. right? So I just instantly shut it down. And then by the time I realized I was potentially gay, I was already sort of homophobic towards the idea, which led to a lot of like self-repudiation and a lot of trying to change myself and manage outward perception and just all this like things that led to a lot of like mental health challenges in my 20s and not I didn't come out until my early 20s. And so, yeah, it was like, it was really tough, you know? 
which was sad because the experience was so validating and special. And then I went back to school and it felt like it was something I should be ashamed of. So it was, it was like a hard thing to navigate at a young age, you know? Yeah. It was like an international conversation about it too, right? So it's like, I remember as a kid, I would like scrub the IMDb boards, like like trying to clean any comments about me being queer because I was like afraid people would like be talking about it. Mm. What inspired you to become a life coach? Yeah, I became a life coach because, you know, even when I came out in my early 20s, I still struggled with a lot of the shame that sort of kept me in the closet for so long. You know, when you come out, you don't just get, just get to like flip a switch on 14 years of hating yourself. So it's like, uh, you know, there's some work to be done there. And right. I felt really alone in that work as well. You know, I was like, now I'm an out gay man, but what does that even mean? Who am I? So much of my life was based on external perception. Like I, I became a pro at a young age at navigating my external relationships so that I could like gain approval and be liked, you know, because I, I felt like I had to do that really early on. I was in survival mode for like so much of my my younger age. So like putting a lot of those protective tendencies down and, and stopping my defensive conditioning and like all these, all these things that were no longer serving me in my twenties. Right. Like no one wants to go on a date with this like hypervigilant person who's like um, constantly anxious and and worried that people don't like him. And, you know, so I had to like really do a lot of the self-work on that and the reflection and the introspection and you know, I, I just kind of discovered all these resources and these mental health tools that I was like, how did I not know about all this stuff? And then I realized that maybe a lot of queer people don't know about this stuff. And that's when I decided to become a life coach. I was like, I, this feels like a good thing that I can do with my story is help people sort of understand their story and use it in a way that's useful in their life. What sort of lessons do you apply to your coaching? Huh, that's a good question. What, what sort of lessons do I apply to my coaching? <laughs> I don't know that I have like any specific like lessons. I, I mean, it's more... Uh, it's more based on whatever the client needs, right? So it's not, there's no like predetermined agenda. But I mean, a lot of times I'm working with my clients on how to manage stress and anxiety, how to um, develop self-compassion for aspects of yourself that you maybe don't like, right? How to like practice mindfulness and and recognize different emotions or behaviors when they come up and respond to them in new ways and recognizing, you know, what's, what of yourself is a result of shame and what of yourself feels a little bit more authentic to you and how to live more in that authentic space. These are just like some of the sort of the areas I spend a lot of time in with clients. So here's the best part. You're, you're an actor, you're a life coach. And now comes my favorite part. You're also a musician, a triple, a triple threat, as I like (laughs) to call you. One of my favorite things to do is interview musicians. So this is where I get to have real fun here. What inspired you to start a music career? That's a good question. I, I mean, I was singing before I was in school at Rock. Like I was going to voice lessons since the age of nine. I just always loved singing. I would dance around my house to Faith Hill and Britney Spears as a kid and, and belting respect by Aretha Franklin all over, all over <laughs> the house. And uh, and I had to sing to audition for School of Rock. I didn't end up singing in the movie, but it was like sort of part of the process. And I did a bunch of theater when I was younger. So I was always in like the musical. So like music was always there. I don't think I realized that I was capable of like writing my own music until I graduated college. And I actually just sort of coincidentally ended up working at a country music radio station for four years. But I loved country music in high school. People would in senior year, you could drive to school or you could like drive out of school and people would drive in listening to like the Raiders Rihanna hit. And I'd be like, blast. I'd be the only one blasting like Zach Brown band essentially. And I was like, uh, you know, it's just, I was always the weirdo who loved country. Um, 
And then when I found the country radio station, I was like, oh, what a fun outlet for me to be able to like work in a, a format that I, I care about so much. Um, but I went through a really tough breakup when I was working at the radio station. And I remember being a little bit like, a lot of the breakup songs were speaking to me, but I was like, I also don't really feel like I see myself in these songs. I was like, they're all hetero, right? So I was like, where mm. where is all the queer representation in this genre? And then I was like, oh, wow, there is none. And so I started to like write my own songs just kind of therapeutically on guitar at home. And then I shared it with like a friend and I shared it with a group of friends and I shared it with a room full of friends. And I think that process was the first time, you know, I talked a lot about how growing up I wasn't really happy with who I was and a lot of who I was was based on external perception. I think songwriting, like writing those songs at night in my room with my guitar, those are the first times I like reached inside of myself and pulled out something that was just like truthful and authentic to me. Because lyrics are, lyrics and melodies are interesting. Like you can say something in a song that you wouldn't say to a friend, right? Like you you could, you have like permission to be cheesy or corny or, or dramatic right. or whatever it is. Um, and so I put all these feelings and these emotions into these songs. And then I finally shared them with people and everyone was like, oh my God, me too. I feel the same way. And it was just like this validating thing where I was like, oh, you mean this crazy stuff that I experienced on my inside is actually universal. Like we all feel this way. And like, it was this really like connective experience. And I fell in love with that process, that process of, you know, telling my story and then people connecting to it. And I've kind of just been chasing that for the past eight or nine years. Cause you know, that's what acting does too. But with music, I get to tell my own stories, which you could do with acting if you want to like write your own thing, but I don't. So right. <laughs> so country music over the other genres of music is because the music speaks to you so much. Yeah, I love the storytelling aspect. I've always sort of been into a lot of the instrumental aspects. You know, I never I grew up on like the pop I was into when I was growing up was like Michelle Branch. So it was never really like electronic oriented. It was always like instrumental. So I, right. I and you know, modern country kind of is that, you know, so it is. Yeah, it is. It is a little bit of just right. like pop melodies that you're used to growing up, right? Right. So, who were your musical idols growing up? Was it you? Said you mentioned Britney. You mentioned Faith Hill. It was a lot of like the country females. I mean, country males are wonderful, and I I love so many tracks by them. And I feel like a lot of the country females are the ones that really like led to changes in the genre, um, and like really like you know made groundbreaking moments. Um, and I think that was really appealing to me. Also, I think they like overcame diversity to get to where they were within the genre, which is always, you know, a, a cool story for me. Um, right. So yeah, a lot of my my in inspirations are like uh, <laughs> Shania Twain, Faith Hill, Dolly Parton, Jody Messina. I always call myself the gay Jody Messina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, only up until a couple of years ago, I still didn't even give myself permission to like say that those were my inspirations, you know, because there's whole like, you're a guy, how can your influences be females but like luckily the gender conversation is becoming more flexible right and like right. I, I no longer feel like I need to say my insp inspirations is Tim McGraw not that there's anything wrong with Tim McGraw I love Tim McGraw's music but like if, if I'm being honest it's it's these females that I'm inspired by if it makes you feel any better I've met Faith Hill and she's an absolute sweetheart well if you if you have her contact information send her my music <laughs> video because she's I, I impersonate her so your debut album, Gay Country, was released this year. And I want to yeah. talk about your hit single, Same Old Country Love Song. Where did the inspiration come from to write this song? I was sitting with my friend Tom, who was who co-wrote it with me. And I was like, I think if we nail this, it could be cool. But I was like, it's it's not that crazy of a concept for a song. But basically, all I want to do is literally write the song that everyone's heard a thousand times. But I just want to, like, make it gay. And that was just the concept for the song. But we had to do it in a way that was, like... 
a little clever and also kind of called out country music, but wasn't too political. It was just like friendly and and like I wanted it to sound like those 90s, 2000s country songs so that it could like um, sort of comment on them in that playful way. Um, and yeah, I, I, I it, that's just, it just came like, this, it's just this idea I had because people always seem so shocked at this idea that a queer person is singing country music. And I'm like, it's literally just the same thing everyone else is listening to. It's just queer. So it's, it's, it just came from that argument really. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that's sort of where the idea came from. Now the reaction to this song, what's it been like? And I saw Jack Black play tribute to it on TikTok as well. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy, right? He's just yeah. the nicest person. Yeah. The, the song's been doing really well. I think that's just a testament to like how little queer representation there is in the genre. People, right. you know, are, have been going crazy over it. I'm an independent artist, so getting it out there has been a little like difficult, but anytime it does sort of hit any traction, the response is is wonderful. And I'm, you know, I, I just saw someone post a TikTok the other day, which was a compilation of different people's reactions to the song and like the right. joy on their faces when they see that it's a song they can relate to. It's it's just, it makes me feel like I'm doing something important and it's very exciting and it's cool. Which leads me to the next question, you know, how much fun was that video to make? The music video? Yeah. Oh, we had a blast. I mean, it was hard work. I mean, we did the whole thing in a 12-hour shoot day. And um, after singing slash lip syncing the song for 60 times, I was about to kill myself. But other than that, um, I felt it was a great day. It was a great opportunity to sort of play with fashion and um, acknowledge all these people, these artists I look up to. And because basically for people who don't know, the concept of the music video is just me sort of referencing iconic country music looks, uh, but in like a queer gender bending way. So I have like a Dolly look, I have a Shania look, a Carrie look, a Faith look, I have a Willie Nelson look. And it's it's really fun. I also feel like it's a nice throwback to my start. You know, Billy was the fashion designer in School of Rock. And I feel like if he were to see this, he'd be really proud. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's fun. That's awesome. So how long did it take you to actually write this album? That's a good question. I wrote a lot of it during COVID, like the height of COVID. I went right. down to Nashville to do a bunch of co-writes. And then when I got there, like the week after I got there, there was that terrible tornado that like tore apart East Nashville. And then like two weeks later, there was COVID. So all the co-writes I had set up didn't happen, but I ended up doing them virtually. So I did a ton of like co-writes down there. Um, three of the tracks on the album are co-writes and the rest I wrote by myself. And but I didn't actually get to record anything until like, a little like a year and a half later. So that was October of 2021, I think is when I recorded everything mm -hmm. or I'm that, that could be the wrong timeline, but I was, I went back down to Nashville to record everything. It was a long process, you know, like I'm also, I'm an independent artist. I don't have a record label paying for everything. So I have right. to, I'm also working. So, you know, I mean, I'm only able to move as fast as I'm able to move it's, it, but I'm happy that I took my time with it and I'm really happy with how it came out. Honestly, a lot of the process is also in the branding and how am I going to release it and what's the what's the artwork going to look like and that's that all took like a year too. So it's it right. you know it all takes some time. Okay, Devon Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Brian Falduto. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right, Cluzo style. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show and we will be right back. Sometimes people have a story to tell. It could be a story of triumph or a story of sorrow. However, it's their story. It's important to keep their story authentic in their own words and delivered in a delicate way. 
That's where Unfiltered Discussions podcast comes in. I'm Brian Howard. I talk with my guests about tough subjects and pivotal moments. I'd love for you to hear their stories. Subscribe to Unfiltered Discussions on your favorite podcast platform. Let's ensure their stories are heard. Hello, Duval Nation. Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward, I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek DeBall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Derek Show. That's betterhelp.com slash Derek Show. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own, with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm Jay. We all know that a lot of us spend most of our waking hours at work. So naturally, the majority of our stories come from the many different characters and situations we run into at the workplace. Because of this, we bring you the Fuck My Work Life podcast. On this podcast, we will be sharing your stories from the workplace, no matter what they may be, so we can all laugh and commiserate together. Does someone at work have horrible habits? 
crazy bosses that have no idea what they're doing. Hilarious blow-ups from coworkers. Even if you just need to rant, we want to hear it. Everything will be completely anonymous, so don't be afraid to spill your guts. That's right. All names of people and companies will not be disclosed, so send us your best. No story is too small. Email your stories to fmwlpod at gmail.com. That's fmwlpod at gmail.com. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more fun content, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at fmwlpod. We can't wait to hear from you. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. Hello everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 162 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with actor, life coach, and musician, Brian Falduto. So another fan writes in, what was it like to shoot the video for God Loves Me Too? Mm, that was cool. God Loves Me Too is a song I released like three or four years ago. A little bit of a different chapter of my music. We're still sort of finding my sound, but really proud of it. It's based on, I grew up uh, very religiously. Um, I went to Catholic school and I was raised Protestant. So I had a double dose of Christianity Christianity on like a daily basis, uh, which is which is hard for queer people sometimes. I, there, no one was ever telling me that it was okay to be myself. It was more just like this unspoken message that I couldn't be myself for religious reasons and that I would, wouldn't go to heaven if I was myself. So it was a lot of, it contributed to a lot of like that shame and self-hatred that I mentioned earlier. And then in my adult years, I went to a a church in in Hollywood while I was out there for a project because I, I didn't know anybody in town and I just had nothing to do on the weekend. So I and I was like, well, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll revisit visit one of these queer churches they talk about. Uh, and I went and it was like the most life-changing experience. Like I walked in, there was like a pride flag above the door. The pastor was wearing like a rainbow stole. There was like this queer couple holding hands just a few rows in front of me. And I was so impacted by that experience. I just sat there for an hour and a half and cried, essentially. I didn't even know that I was going to have this crazy experience. I, I was just going. I was like, let me check it out. And then just the nostalgia of everything I experienced going to church so often as a young kid and not even being acknowledged. And then to have such a 180 experience in that congregation that day. I went home and I wrote God Loves Me Too in 20 minutes. It was the fastest song I've ever written. I was just so Im impacted by that experience. <laughs> and uh, and 
almost as soon as I wrote it, I knew that I wanted to release it via music video. It was like, it was such a story song, you know? And it, mm-hmm. I feel like we needed to really follow the kid as he comes to learn that he is accepted and loved and the kid being younger me. And it was really fun. It was a real testament to how much support I have. You know, everyone who worked on that video did it just out of the kindness of their heart. Um, Jack Black and Richard Linklater funded the music video and like helped produce it. My friend directed it for free. You know, we have we had so many people in the video and they just they volunteered 12 hours of their time that day. We had this huge crew. It was crazy. It was it was a really lovely you know, it's moments like being an artist is very inconsistent. You know, your song can be on the radio one week and then the next week it feels like no one gives a shit about you. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's days like that where I'm like, oh, wow, people really believe in me. There's a reason to keep doing this. You know, even if it's, even if I'm not getting like a huge traction out there, I know that, I know that there are people who believe in me. Yeah, you're I feel just, like I really went and no, ran with this question. No, but. no, that's, that's true. You're describing exactly everything I go through every time I release an episode. That's 100%. I, I'm in the exact same boat, so 100% agree. Yeah, there's a lot of like inconsistencies, but you can't yeah. you can't do it based on what's happening on the external. You have to do it based on what's happening inside of you and inside exactly. your own network. And I've had a lot of consistency there. I mean, my band is proof alone. We just all flew out to Sacramento together to do a Pride Festival and... Yeah, the, they were definitely not getting paid enough to do what they just did with me. You know what I mean? And and yeah. they're just doing it because they believe in what I'm doing. And it's it's so fucking awesome. That's amazing. All right. So today is June 13th, 2023. Tell us about the Pride remix of Big Boys Club. <laughs> yeah, that came out today. Yeah, I, there's one song on my track called Big Boys Club. We, I wanted to do a Pride remix. I was I was unsure which song to do and I chose Big Boys Club because it's all about love and Pride season's all about love and I figured why not and it's a it's really anthemic song as is and I think the Pride remix just really like ups the ante right it, it it's something you can dance to you know within the queer community there's not a ton of country music it, you know and within the country music there's not a a kind of queer representation and then the reverse goes also there's not a ton of country music in within the queer community so it felt like a good opportunity to take storytelling aspects of my song and put them in in a format that maybe queer people might listen to <laughs> more right. so you know I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes and uh, if i ever walk into a gay club and they're spinning my remix i will freak out <laughs> that's be, that would be amazing okay as a special treat from brian here is big boys club the pride remix I used to step up to the plate I didn't know the rules It seemed like every day Had me acting like a fool I either struck out right away Or went round and round Round and round, round and round Never reaching home base A little lead get me down But in the big boys club It's finally about real love I'm done with the games And the putting on a show If you're ready to be real Then baby let's go In the big boys club it's a big boy kind of love A swing and a miss won't get you any ground You either knock it off the bar or you sit back down In the big boy's love In the big boy's love You can always join You ain't gotta try out Come on, make some noise If you wanna play with the big boys now Here we go yeah, In the big boys club It's finally about real love 
Once you're off the team, don't come back to town In the big boys club In the big boys club In the big boys club yeah. In the big boys club Yeah, I'm a member of the big boys club Where it's finally about real love I'm done with the games and the putting on a show If you're ready to be real, then baby, let's go So I ask all musicians who come on my show this next question. That is, what are your opinions on streaming services? I don't really have an issue with them. Um, I went to a panel a long time ago where they were talking about, like, everything switching over from records to streaming services and how harmful it is for the industry and what it means for the industry and all these things. And there were a lot of great points made. But there's one guy made one point. I wish I remembered his name, but I don't. But I was like... It's so true. You know, it's kind of the the music industry's fault that that people ended up doing streaming platforms and needing like needing them essentially because we got to a point where people were we were charging like $29 for a 13 track album where there was like two good songs on it, you know? Like that was yeah. that was like the peak of what was happening when record sales were were the main format of getting music and people were like, "No, we need we need easier access to music. So like, I kind of agree with the fact that they exist and it was kind of inevitable, I feel like. Um, but it just has to be fair. There has to be fair, way, fair ways to figure it out. And um, I think they, they're cool. I mean, I don't think I'd be able to do what I'm doing without streaming because it gives independent artists a chance to get their music out, right? All right, so a fan writes in this next question and that is, in the current political climate, how can we support kids and young people who are finding their identities, who are queer in states where it's not really safe to be queer. Yeah, well, there's a lot of anti-LGBT uh, legislation going on in every state. I, I always encourage people to like lean into what makes them uncomfortable. You know, there is so much anti-LGBTQ legislation out there right now. So if you're completely comfortable, you're probably not doing everything you could be doing. You know, like there's, it's it's not a comfortable time for queer people. So like, just find where the discomfort lies for you, whether that's like voting differently or going to to get involved in different ways or writing to people or even just having conversations that make you uncomfortable so that you can like do your own personal growth. Um, comfort is not where growth happens or where open-mindedness happens or where any change happens really. So just try and like, you know, it's not, it's not comfortable for queer people to like figure out who they are. So, you know, just, just be willing to be in that uncomfortable space with them. Hmm. What are your favorite memories from the last School of Rock anniversary reunion? Just partying after with Jack. He invited us all back to his house, and it was a good time. Yeah? Yeah. Do you keep in contact with each other, or is it only at reunions you all see each other? 
Oh, gosh. No, we have a very active group text. It's honestly annoying sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I think it's beautiful. I, we are the, I think I, I have to say we must be the only major motion picture that has a group text going 20 years later. <laughs> have, they, have they all been real super, super supportive of your music career? Oh, yeah. Rivka, who played bass in the film, just joined me on stage and played bass for like all my songs at, an, at a recent LA show. Oh wow! Um, and yeah, everyone's everyone's been everyone's been great. Mm. How hard was it for the group losing Kevin Clark? Yeah, it was just so awful. I mean, that experience—I mean, to be dramatic—but like my entire childhood was really centered around that experience, for better or for worse, right? Just because everywhere I went, I was a gay kid from school and rock. And there's only 14 other people in the world who really like recognize that experience and also had that experience. So to lose one of those people who I just feel this so this close intimate bond with and yeah, it was just it was just awful, but it was also an opportunity for us all to lean on each other and and we had a bunch of Zoom calls where we we really supported each other and it was really nice. Jack Black flew all the way out to Chicago to go to the services. But I just, I just think it's a testament to like I think the film success is a testament to this as well, but it's all just a testament to like how great of a time we had on set together and and the magic that we made. And and you know, I don't think the movie would have been a success if we like if we all didn't connect in the way we did, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. Have you ever thought about getting into back into acting or are you just enjoying being a musician too much right now? Um, yeah, I'm definitely like available. I always say like if anyone wants to offer me a role, um, <laughs> I, I'm just not really actively pursuing it. It's, it's I find it much more exhausting to pursue than music. It's I, I was waiting for people to give me opportunities all the time, you know, versus music. I feel like I can create my own opportunities. I can I can put I can put on my own show. I can release my own songs. I can um, collaborate with people. And again, you can do that as an actor. I just don't really have the interest in like writing long form right. con content like that. So like, yeah, I'm available. I'm still in acting class. I go weekly. I, I, I'm at Anthony Mendel's studios. And I, what's, what's crazy is I feel like I'm at the peak of my craft as far as an actor goes. Like, so if, if I were to, if I were to take on a project, I'd be really excited about it. But um, I just, I'm so busy with the music right now. I'm coaching daily. Um, and there's just not, I just, you, sometimes you got to pick and choose, you know? Yeah, makes sense. So besides the release of the new single uh, that came out today, what is next for you other than the 20th anniversary of the school rock reunion? Yeah, well, we're doing a bunch of pride shows this summer. Um, we're hitting up a bunch of different states. So everyone should check my website, see if I'm coming to your state. And if you want to come celebrate with us, we'll be at the Pride Festival uh, headlining a few shows. I'm going to be putting out new music soon, probably, actually, already recording some new stuff. And that's just, that's, that's pretty much it. I got the, the reunion. We'll probably be really busy in October. What have you guys got planned for that? Not much we can say yet. Ah, okay. Um, but it, there's been so many changes. Um, <laughs> I feel like every week it's like a new plan. But we will be doing something. Fair. That's really all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> so as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question. What do you like to do for fun to relax when you can relax? Yeah. I'm going to sound so lame, but I really just like going for long walks. <laughs> That's nothing wrong with that. I'm like, uh, I, I love spending time in nature, just walking outside. I love hiking and spending time with friends and just, uh, I like experiencing new things. I love traveling. I like doing things I've never done before. So like whether it's, I'm trying, I'm struggling to think of an example, but like seeing a show I've never seen before or like, um, or traveling somewhere new I've never been before. I, I just, 
I was just recently listening to Chelsea Handler's podcast and she was talking about how like, don't let your artistic career be your life. And I really don't think that is my life. I think my life is chasing sort of experiences and living in those. Um, and then the music is like part of that, right? It's different experiences within that. But a lot of my hobby is just kind of like finding those experiences. That's amazing. Uh, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Instagram, Brian Falduto, um, B-R-I-A-N-F-A-L-D-U-T-O. Okay. All right, Brian, I am my interviews with my favorite question. Oh, and okay. The, and the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? <laughs> I think we all need to slow down and rest a bit more <laughs> and just be... We are human beings. We are not human doings. I think a lot of our suffering comes from the fact that we spend so much of our life unconsciously just sort of in default mode, just like doing one, going from one thing to the next and really not settling into the present moment where I think all of our power and awareness and happiness and joy and love is accessible. And I'm not, I'm a culprit of that too. I do not spend nearly as much time in the present moment, but I really think that is the most important thing that we can do. Brian, congratulations on all of your success. And I know you still have many chapters to write in your story. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show. This has been truly fantastic. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 162. I want to thank Brian for being such a great guest and for being so giving with his time. What a great guy. And I hope he comes back on the show again down the road. You can buy all of Brian's music wherever you get your music online. And of course, School of Rock is streaming on Amazon Prime, or you can buy it on Blu-ray wherever you buy your movies. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days. So be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. And with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs, plus we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDevallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you will be taken to our store on Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, the world is getting a bit crazy out there. Let's try this weekend with the Juneteenth holiday approaching to all be a little bit nicer and kinder to one another. A little goes a real long way, folks. Like Ringo says... Peace and love, man. Peace and love. No star, God bless. And see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.